Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Luke 1, 46 through 55. Luke 2, 1 through 14. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census to take place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and respecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to, his, to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest rooms available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the God of Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Luke 2, 1-14. John chapter 1, 1-18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him all was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through all him might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has, has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. 
for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John chapter 1, 1 through 18. Right. Thank you, Macy Mayer and Jared Wells and A.J. Hollister. That's who that was. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can turn on your phone or you can just listen. My name is Mitch Mayer. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Community Church, and I just want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. It's a wonderful time of the year to be together as church family, as friends, neighbors, um, whoever you might be and however you might have gotten here. We're glad you're with us tonight. Believers all over the world have come together to remember, to celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Over the last two times together, last Sunday and then this Sunday morning, we've been looking at Christmas creations, not the creations that we make, Christmas ornaments or things we might hang on the wall or place on the mantle, but creations of God, things that God creates through Christmas, things that God creates through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, into the world for the salvation of of his people. We've said that Christmas creates a number of things in the lives of those who believe. We said, number one, it creates joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. We said also that it creates wonder, that the idea of the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity, becoming a man in the virgin womb of his mother Mary, just is astonishing. It leaves you scratching your head. It leaves you wondering at the majestic love of God. We said that also Christmas creates generosity. This incredible tradition of gift giving is rooted in God who gave the greatest gift of all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This morning we said that Christmas creates expectation. That the one who came from heaven's glory and was born, the babe in Bethlehem, is also the one who grew up and died upon a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, is also the one who one day will come again for the ultimate salvation of his people and to make all things new. We called it the cradle, the cross, and the crown. Joy, wonder, generosity, expectation. And then we said that Christmas creates thankfulness. That when we come to understand all that God has done for us in and through His Son, Jesus Christ, in particular, the great work of the forgiveness of our sins and the righteousness of Jesus being imputed to us and being made a part of the family of God, that all of that means that through Jesus, we've been brought back to God. That not only does that give a deep-seated sense of joy in our hearts, but when we've got our mind right, it leads 
to a great sense of gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus. The illustration we use this morning is one you undoubtedly will use tomorrow morning when your child opens up that gift and is so joyful and so excited about it, and they so quickly want to move on to the next one, but you tell them, hold on, wait a minute, turn to Aunt Jenny and tell her thank you. So we too are filled with such joy because of who Christ is and what he has done for us. The proper response always is to turn our gaze from that to the giver of the gift and to say a hearty thank you. This morning or this evening, I've got three more. I promise I'll be much briefer than last Sunday or this morning. Another thing that Christmas creates in the hearts and lives of those who believe is humility. My daughter Macy just read from Luke chapter 1. That was the song of Mary. God had announced to her through an angel that she was going to bear a child, and she, how in the world is this going to be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And indeed, that's just what happened, and Mary found herself carrying a child. And she came to realize that this child was going to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And as Macy read, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And then Mary turns, not only has God done this for me, she turns to others, and his, God's mercy, is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He's done mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He's filled the hungry with good deeds and sent away the rich empty-handed. He's had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. He's exalted those who were humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He's scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Pride is the story of mankind from Genesis chapter 3 on. God created all things and he created man and woman in his image to know him and to love him and to enjoy him. And God created the garden and it was just absolutely beautiful. And the fellowship with God was, with God was sweet and full of joy and gladness. But then chapter 3, sin entered in. And pride began to well up in the hearts of every man, woman, and child ever since. It's been well said that the story of the Bible could be summed up from Genesis chapter 3, when sin first enters humanity, all the way to Revelation chapter 20, just before Jesus Christ comes back to make it all new. Sum it up that God is opposed to the proud. Pride can get us in trouble, and so it's good for us to be humbled. And all you have to do when you think about Christmas is just simply ask the question, why? 
And you quickly realize that pride has no place in the heart of any human being. Whenever you see that ornament of a manger, or whenever you watch the video of, of the baby in the cradle, whenever you sing the songs, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. All you have to do is ask the question, why? And then go to the Bible for the answer. You quickly realize that the answer is, for us and for our salvation because of our sin against God. And because our sin separates us from God and because apart from His grace, apart from His love, apart from His kindness, that we are in trouble. Why? Did the eternal Son of God come and be born a man? Why? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Perish. That's what was at stake. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, we were at odds with God. And we didn't deserve His grace. We didn't earn His love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He sent Jesus Christ into the world that our sins might be forgiven and we who were separated from God might be reconciled to Him. It wasn't because we were smart. It wasn't because we were good looking. It wasn't because we were morally superior to the people we work with or live next door to. It's not because we had our act together when everybody else didn't. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And the incredible message of Christmas is that God has come on a rescue mission. That's why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we know that the Bible teaches us that there is no place for boasting. The Bible is absolutely clear. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Christmas is a humbling thing. But it's also, secondly, Christmas creates hope. We've already gone there, but we're going to go there again and again and again. Jared read to us from Luke chapter 2, whenever the angels appeared 
to the shepherds. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. While Christmas is humbling, whenever you look at the manger or ponder the incarnation of the Son of God and ask the question, why? And the answer that comes shooting back is because of sin and rebellion against God and He comes on a rescue mission that we did not deserve nor earn. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We were destined for eternity without Him and yet He comes to rescue sinners through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is humbling. But it's also a message of hope. It's also a message of hope. One of my favorite little jokes is that maybe some of you all have a drug problem. You got drug here to church tonight. You're in from out of town. Your sister said, hey, you're coming to church with us. You got drug here tonight. You got a drug problem. And maybe you've heard about Jesus all of your life. And maybe you know the story of Christmas. About God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners. But at the same time, you're thinking to yourself, it's all fine and good. But it ain't for me. I wish it were. But you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea where I've been. You have no idea how many times I've been there and how many times I've done that. I get it that, that Christ has come for sinners, but not sinners like me. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe the idea of the forgiveness of your sins sounds awesome. And maybe the idea that Jesus Christ would take his perfect righteousness and, and account it to you in such a way that God would love you and accept you forevermore. Maybe that sounds just wonderful. But the thought is, not for me. I'm too far gone. I'm in too deep. He can't save someone like me. And friend, I just wish I could say to you, have you read the book? The message of Christmas is the beginning of the gospel message. It's, it's the love of God for sinners. The message of this book from page one to last is grace. This is not a book of rules. This is not a book that paints the picture of a moral ladder that you have to climb in order for God to be ultimately pleased with you. This is not a book of rules. 
It's not a book of law. It's not a book of hoops to jump through so that God will maybe, just maybe let you in. This is a book of grace. This is a book of mercy. This is a book of kindness and of love for sinners just like you and me and the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. You're a sinner? Me too. You're a sinner? So is he and she and he and he and her. It's the story of us all. One of the most magnificent stories in all of the Bible is the, the changed life of a man named Saul. He hated Jesus. He hated the message of the gospel. He hated Christians. He hated the church. He hated it all. He persecuted Christians and wanted to put them to death. He was against it to no end. And yet, God in his mercy shone down on him such that he came to believe that Jesus Christ was for a sinner just like him. And he turned to Jesus and his life was radically changed. He became, we know him as the Apostle Paul. He wrote 13 of the letters that we have in our New Testament. I want to read you a paragraph that he wrote. One of the books in our New Testament is called 1 Timothy. Paul wrote two letters to his young protege in the faith named Timothy. And in one of them, 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said this. And listen close, especially if you're here tonight thinking... I would love it, but there's no hope for me. Paul said this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Listen, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. I don't want to miss the point, but I want to point it out. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. Read Christmas. Why did the eternal Son of God come into the world? It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in, me, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. 
What does that mean? If, Paul, if God can save Paul, Paul says God can save anybody. Yeah, Mitch, but you don't know what I've done. Don't matter what you've done. You don't know where I've been. Doesn't matter where you've been. Paul says this is why he came into the world. And it lines up with everything else the New Testament says. Hey, Joseph, she's going to bear a child. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Hey, shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For today in the city of David is born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Friends, I hope that you will see when you look up on that tree or wherever you might see that manger, whenever you might hear the songs of Christmas, or maybe you lie in bed tonight and you think about, oh, this is more than presents and lights and ornaments and nutcrackers. And this is about something much more profound. This is about something much more rich, about something much deeper. I hope you'll think of that babe in Bethlehem as one who came to save sinners just like you. Christmas creates humility in all of us because it reminds us that we are sinners, but it creates hope in those who will believe because they've understood that God is a God, let me read the words, mercy, grace, love, mercy. To those who will humble themselves and reach out to him, he will have you. Finally, Christmas creates light. A.J. read from John chapter 1, one of the most profound texts in all of the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus Christ said of himself, I am the light of the world. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. In thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. message of the Bible is, since the entrance of sin, darkness 
And yet Jesus comes as the light of the world. And those who believe, he enlightens everyone. I think the idea of light and the idea of enlightenment is that through a relationship with God, through his son Jesus Christ, you, you, you quickly begin to get the answers to life's most profound questions. Where before you were just moving around in the darkness as to where do I come from? Why am I here? How do I determine right and wrong? How is, is my brokenness and my sin going to be dealt with? And where am I going to go when I die? We grope in the darkness when left to ourselves, as the history of humankind shows. But when we come to the light, It's like everything goes like this. Where do I come from? I come from God. Why am I here? To glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. How do I determine right and wrong? God is the standard of right and wrong and has made His will known in His Word. How will my brokenness and sin be dealt with such that a sinner like me could be forgiven and accepted by God? He sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to do something I could never do on my own. He lives for me and dies for me and rises for me and offers the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God as a free gift to all who will believe. Where am I going when I die? By the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Because you're a good guy, Mitch? Nope. Because you're better than the dude next to you? Nope. Because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Light. Worship team, why don't you all come on up? We want to close tonight remembering the light of the world. an amber alert maybe so as we do if the songs that we sang or the scripture that was read or the words that Antonio spoke or the words that I have spoken is, is kindling in your heart that you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ you've never turned from yourself and your good deeds because that's the way you thought you had to do. You had to do better. You had to do better. You had to be right. You've never, you've never understood the good news of the gospel that you, you don't have to do better. You don't have to do right. You can't be good enough. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has done it all for you. If maybe tonight is the first time you've come to see that and to believe that, Oh, friend, you don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to check a box. You don't have to come forward and kneel down here. All you need to do is in the quietness of your own heart 
Confess your sins to God. And say to him that you now understand that he has sent Jesus Christ into the world to be a savior for you. And that Jesus was born and he lived, but he died upon that cross for your sins. That God raised him from the dead. And that now you want to receive Christ. You want him to be your savior. You want to put your hope in him. You tell him about it. You talk to him about it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Tonight we want to remember the light of the world. I'm going to get us started. We'll make it go all the way around the room. Why don't you go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing together. Let's remember Jesus.